0: Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Dr. Simon, and the show is The Stories We Live By. And uh, I have a guest with me today that I will introduce in a moment. Um, uh, Chuck Ruby, who is the executive director of ISIP, the International Society for Ethical Psychology and Psychiatry. And Hill uh, will jump in. I just wanted to make a couple of opening remarks. Um, what motivated me to do this story was my uh, endless watching of the impeachment hearings. And um, at one point, I really got frightened. Um, what happened was a discussion concerning exactly who um, attacked the election in the United States. Was it Russia or was it the Ukraine? And you had different facts being spread out by different members of the, the impeachment query. And this is incredibly important. I'll ignore that. Somebody's trying to reach me. Uh, and this is incredibly important. Um, so let me define a couple of terms. A fact is Something in evidence, that is, something we learn through our senses. Um, A good scientist learns how to make observations about the world around them. A good artist does, too. Um, So we we learn facts through our senses, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, what we feel. When groups of people get together— and all agree as to what they experience, then the facts become collective, and they become the basis for collective action. I don't talk about truth very much. I use truth in the sense of, am I telling the truth, whether it's a fact or some kind of a moral statement? Um, Is it what I really believe? Is it what I really experienced? Is it what somebody is telling me, what they believe, rather than something they're making up? Truth is the opposite of lie. A lie is when we have a reason for saying something we know it's not factual. We know what we believe uh, about something is not moral or moral. But we say it anyway because it serves our interest in some way. We all need authorities in our life to tell us about the facts and help us understand the world because otherwise we can't act. And we are born the most helpless animal on the planet. And and one of the things I explore uh, in my book is particularly the incredibly important role of education in helping us understand the world factually, so that we can make up an idea of what's moral and what's not moral. In order to learn, we nobody can learn everything on their own. We must have authorities, parents. We have teachers. Uh, If my doctor tells me I need a surgery, but another doctor tells me I don't need the surgery, I don't know what the fact is, and I can't make an informed decision about what to do unless I believe the authority of one over the other. Otherwise, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm paralyzed. And a point in which the country no longer gets one consistent set of facts from the authorities that are their leaders, then the country becomes paralyzed in order to do what is necessary for it to survive, for the way of life that we have to survive. I would be relieved to find out that some of the people on that panel, uh, and I won't name the names because it's not as important as the issue that we're talking about, if I knew they were simply doing it out of political expediency. They don't want the voters in their home state or their hometown to turn against them. I'm I'm I was horrified by it that they would lie. What really scares me is if they really believe that the Ukraine was the one who attacked the our election in twenty sixteen and not what the intelligence community and what the experts who are my authority for the facts are telling us that I find absolutely very scary. Chuck, what do you think? Well,
1: I, uh, I share your fear, Larry. Um, as I I pointed out in, in my book, Smoke and Mirrors, that hopefully will get published soon. Um, I think that what is happening is that we have, uh, people use one of two, Different standards for deciding what that truth is, and these two standards uh, can be uh, in contrast with each other, in opposition to each other. One is what you're you're mentioning—the authority. So, uh, I would call it a dogmatic standard. I would, you know, say that we we have a question about the world, and we don't know personally the answer, so we do rely on authority figures to tell us those answers. Uh, mm-hmm. As you said, we we listen to doctors. If we think they know more than we do, we might listen to climate scientolo- uh, scientologists, climate scientists, um, to to make a decision about global warming, and we might listen to uh, political leaders, whether it's presidents or congressmen or whomever. Because we think they have access to the information that we don't, and the point of this standard, the dogmatic standard though, is that we rely on that authority. we don't check out the facts for ourselves' because we we don't have the ability to do so, the knowledge to do all right. so
0: all right, so it's not a refusal to look at the facts, it's that we can't access the facts
1: correct, right, and then right. And we always all of us do this to some degree, this dogmatic standard. Um, the other standard is a scientific standard, I would call it. It's more of an empirical, logically reasoned, critical thinking standard. And with that standard, we we check it out ourselves if we can. And in many situations, we can. Uh, we just, and I say we very collectively, uh, we just may not have the interest in putting the effort forward into finding out those those uh, facts that we have access to so we could even with this issue you're bringing up between the uh, who interfered with the 2016 election russia or the ukraine we have access to the information even though we don't have access to the classified parts but we do have access access to unclassified parts to um, help us come up with a reasoned conclusion or we could just accept what some authority figure says, and as, as you know, it depends on which authority figure we go to. Uh,
0: that, that's to that's the critical. That's what's so critical. Right. Uh, and by the way, I, I, I use the word authoritarian and democratic rather than the terms we you were using. Although I completely agree <laughs> that they're the appropriate terms as well. Um, what, what what worries me. Uh, What interests me as a psychologist is what happens when you have an authority who tells you things and then you come to disbelieve the authority, and what are the conditions of disagreeing or disbelieving an authority? How do we develop the capacity to be able to question the facts given to us by any given authority – Uh, And to me, that is where education comes in Mm -hmm. and common sense. One of the things that uh, I was watching on television, somebody was talking about uh, when a judge uh, charges the jury, he says to them, you need the facts, uh, but you need your common sense and your own background to make a a a clear decision. And many of the people who I believe are swallowing whole what the authority, the authoritarian authority, or the dogmatic, to use that term, are people who really don't have the educational background to assess in any legitimate way. I'll give you an example of this. It was so clear to me. Three years ago, uh, a dishwasher in my house broke, and we didn't know there was a Pipe under pressure, leaking water for weeks until one wall collapsed and mushrooms were growing out of the wall. And we discovered that we really had to have the kitchen pulled out and the entire uh, uh, from the front of the house to the back of the house on the western side of the house had to be redone. And these wonderful workmen came in, and because I'm not working anymore, I spent a lot of time with them carpenters and plumbers electricians. And I was talking to them, this is 2016, about the election that was coming up. And they were all going to vote for Trump because their main concern was economic. And I could understand that. A lot of them had left New York and had left the North because they couldn't earn a living there. And while they were paid half as much here, they, were in, they had constant ongoing work. And one day I said to one of them, well, if you like Trump, I can understand that. What about Steve Bannon? And he looked at me and he said, who's he? (laughs) He never read a newspaper. Now, this was a terrific man, to use Trump, a great person. Not one of these individuals read a newspaper or turned on a TV or, or anything where they can get any kind of information that run counter to what they saw on Fox News, and a lot of them, only Fox News. Mm-hmm. Right? So there was this bubble, and it didn't bother them. None of them were bothered when I said Steve Bannon. They said, who, and went on with the work. In other words, they weren't concerned that maybe there was something here they had to listen to, And I stopped. I didn't push it because I wasn't going to fight with any of these people. There was no point. Mm -hmm. I'm aware, how do you get enough of an education to have a sense that some authority is lying? And that, to me, is a critical issue because more and more people are getting their news from one source. They're in a bubble. And when you you talk about developing a sense of of what is in the world— so that it's broad enough and deep enough to say, this smells bad. Well, I have to know more about that. I have to be curious. And that really frightens me because we're talking about what, Chuck? Half the country? Almost half the country?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, uh, looking at these two kinds of standards in, in uh, de- determining what is true. One, the dogmatic standard basically distrusts facts because it's it's the authority that's trusted regardless of what you see and you hear this said um some you know things like don't don't listen to what you read don't listen to what you see on tv trust what i say so who are you going to believe
0: me or your own eyes
1: (laughs) (laughs) right but the it's that faith in the and the authority that's <clears throat> that's dangerous, even though it's necessary at times
0: <clears throat>
1: excuse me, but with, in many situations we have the ability to to check the facts or to check you know to to go through the reasoning used and to question at least and be skeptical about what anyone says, including by the way <clears throat> a scientific authority scientific authority is just as, just as authoritarian as as a political authority if we I think it fact, can that's what yeah, ISIF is all about this. The the whole mental health industry is, in my view, a belief system that is that is uh, trumpeted, uh, parroted by those orthodox leaders. And most most professionals in the field just trust what the what the industry says and they don't question it. They're not skeptical at all. Because if you do question it the authority doesn't like that, and you'll find out that a lot of the substantive oh, issue in yeah. the industry is without merit.
0: <clears throat> Let me ask you a question about this because yeah. I think you have more, more uh, information, more facts about it than I do. What percentage of professionals just keep quiet or won't speak up because they're terrified of reprisal, particularly uh, they won't be able to earn a living? The, the minute you're attacked this way… And you have to make diagnoses for health insurance. You can't earn a living, right? What percentage of them are true believers?
1: Yeah, I, I have no idea. I know that uh, uh, my guess is a large percentage. Uh, I All I can go on is what I thought initially when I came into the field. And I, you know, I went through school, uh, through training at a very reputable place, Florida State University, Um I was taught what I was taught by the leaders of the field at that time, uh, by the professors, and I swallowed it hook, line, and sinker without real. Right. We
0: all did. We all yeah, did.
1: And and I, I truly believed, and that's the, the key word here is believed. I believed what I was told until I started to be a little bit skeptical about it, and a few things uh, struck me odd and so started to question, and the response was, you know, don't question. Um you know, how, who are you to question? You're just a student. And these are what the was people the source of your skepticism?
0: And when did it I'm happen? Where, again, what part? was the source of your skepticism? And at what point after becoming a psychologist did it take place?
1: Well, it was after training. I I, I think I had some questions while, while I was in doctoral training, but I just never asked them. Um, just sort of set them off to the side. But the big question was when I would hear people say things like mental illness is just like any other illness, such as cancer and diabetes. So why do we treat it differently? And I, I've heard that before, but it struck me a, oh, wait a minute. I don't think that's true. Where's the illness foundation of mental illness. And that's what led me to starting to question. I think it was more when I got into private practice, when I actually got, into the situations of working one-on-one with people in their lives that I started Uh to wonder strongly about this and ended up getting involved with ISEP. Um, But it's a, you know, I was, unfortunately for the system, I was taking a scientific standard at some point, questioning and asking and challenging the authorities to demonstrate the information. Um, If if we are to consider ourselves a, a field of science, and I think psychology is, a social science. And when, when an assertion is made, when a theory or a hypothesis is made, those who make the assertion are obligated to provide the evidence, and they haven't done so. And when you're and when asked, they get quite upset about that because there isn't yes. any evidence.
0: Yes. And you're crazy for having raised the question.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that was, and that's always been. The system turned against us.
0: Yes. There are, you, there you, are many the people who been... the mental illness is questioning the idea of mental illness. You know, it's interesting for me. I know exactly when it happened, an aha moment about it. It was Mm -hmm. 1976, and I was sitting in my office, and I had just started to read Thomas Zoss's book, The Myth of Mental Illness. Mm -hmm. And two patients in a row canceled. They called and canceled. So I sat and I read almost the entire book, and I sat there going, wow, what is this?
1: Right,
0: it, it was and a that lot of moment. people have not heard that. Right, and when I would try to argue with individuals, I said, "Read Zas," and my, the point I always make: it, it's like Zas's book is treated as um, a, a, a toxic dump. You know it's there, but you don't go close. Mm-hmm. So. Some, some years later, a very famous psychiatrist wrote a book, a book, an article in one of the popular magazines, attacking Zas and accusing him of, of having serious mental illness for denying the reality of delusions and hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And I read it to my students, and I said, he never read the book. I don't think he ever read the book. I don't think he opened the cover. Because when Zoss was denying mental illness, he wasn't denying people hallucinate and have delusions. He was denying the fact that there's no real medical evidence to support the idea that that these people are medically sick or medically ill. Mm -hmm. And I have found that to be true. People all know about the book, but professionals stay away from it like it's toxic. (laughs) I read this. Because you can't read that, at least I couldn't read that, without everything. All of a sudden, well, if it's not illness, what is it? And that's really where I've spent my career intellectually since, mm-hmm. defining mm-hmm. what I think good psychotherapy is. If it has nothing to do with therapy, patients, mental illness, or anything else. Anyway, um, it's a, it's, it's right, a, the- a conundrum.
1: Yeah, that's the great, uh, the grand straw man argument that is out there, and it's it's pretty simplistic, but it's true. It has a lot of power that the those who challenge us say something like that. You you know you're crazy. Of course, there's a, such a thing as mental illness. How could you right. deny that no such thing exists? And that's not what we're saying. I don't think anybody no. has ever said that, at least no. within our ilk. It's exactly what you said is, yeah, of course, there's these problems that people experience, but they aren't illnesses. So if they're not illnesses and there is no evidence, there's absolutely no evidence that they are some kind of physiological illness. Or even if you want to stretch the language, mind illness, which is nonsensical, but um, That's totally
0: nonsensical.
1: Yeah. That, so if they're not, then we shouldn't approach them with in, in a medical way. That's harmful. Very hard. Yeah. Not only the diagnosis, but the
0: treatment, too. Yeah. Well, the diagnosis is simply calling somebody a bad name because you're making a moral judgment. And then pretending or not pretending, you actually believe that it's not a moral statement that this person is doing something or thinking something or feeling something in a wrong way. It's unwanted in some particular way. It's it's simply a, a behavior. And we're going to call it that, and we're going to believe it's that, and then treat it as if it's that. Uh, so to me, the whole system is, is a house of cards. Uh, and it's—I really do believe. You know, I—I—I I, I, I have to. I don't know if I sent it. I'm working on a, a revision of my book, mm-hmm. and I want to—I want to see if I can get it published uh, by a legitimate publisher. Not because I'm unhappy with the book as it is, but because it's not going to sell anywhere unless a publisher gets it advertised for me. By the way, who you you have a publisher at this point with yours?
1: Uh, yeah, I have one company looking at it right now. They're called Free Psychiatry Press. Um, Free Psychiatry. I found out about them because they sent me a, a book to review for them. Um, ah. I don't know if, you, if You're familiar with Jock McLaren out of Australia? He's a psychiatrist. Uh, who is also an ICEP member, um, wrote a book on anxiety, and I just did a review of it that should it show up in the next edition of our uh, ICEP's journal, uh, the uh, Ethical Human Psychology and Psychiatry. But anyway, that's how I found out about them, and so I've asked them to look at my manuscript, and they are. I don't know if they'll buy into it or not, or, or what.
0: But I have a, by the way, I have a review coming up in the same issue oh, good. Uh, uh, EHPP. Uh, by Anita Craig, who is a, a philosopher-psychologist. And I think I mentioned this to you. The best, one of the best books I ever, ever read, and I recommend any of our listeners. Uh, Anita Craig, she lives in South Africa, somewhere outside of Johannesburg. And she wrote a book called What is the Self? A Philosophy of Psychology. Oh. And it's not an easy read, but it is just delicious. So I wrote a review of her book back 2003, 2004, and I sent it to her, and she wrote a review um, and submitted it to EHPP. Uh, I don't know when the yeah, journal's great. coming out, but I'm excited to, to, to have that. Uh, but anyway, I wrote a, an end piece to the book, and what the, do I make to a prediction? Um, our field, those of us who are Humanistic and democratic or non dogmatic and and are flexible and talk to people are going to disappear if the society continues to go as it's going towards authoritarianism and dogma we're going to be squelched out right? not me because i'm finished i'm you know I'm letting my license go, and my insurance has already lapsed because i i'm not i really don't have it in me anymore to do the work um, mm-hmm. but but I think Otherwise, if we restore our democracy, because I see it embedded in those ideas, whether it's democratic and scientific versus authoritarian and dogmatic, you take this Mm -hmm. on faith or else, uh, then our field is going to have to really make itself scientific and develop a language and develop a whole ideology to get rid of the word patient and the word diagnosis and the word... Uh, treatment, and all of the other medical terms. Because once you sit down, I know how you work. I mean, I haven't seen it, but I know how you work. I know how many of the people I'm now friendly with in uh, ISEPP. I know how they work. They sit and they talk and form a relationship with somebody. That relationship, that makes the difference. And in that relationship or through the relationship, they learn to analyze and think about their life and the stories that are lived by the facts, and become more able to find for themselves a different way to live. Um, I was talking to Mickey. I did a show with Mickey uh two weeks ago yeah mm-hmm. really well Mickey we, we went off for an hour, uh, and he said when he looked for a therapist, if they talked about diagnosis and he says the minute they said they want to create a relationship because he learned how to question them. Mm-hmm. He said the word relationship came up. He said, I can consider that person as a person I can work with. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think he is one of the most fabulous people I've met uh, in, in a very long time. I mean, he, 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 puts a, you know, he, he doesn't talk the talk. He also walks the walk uh, 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 with, with his, you know, he's, he's really in there trying to make a, a change um any event i thought that was a great idea mm-hmm. you know can we form a relationship because it's the relationship not the diagnosis and not the treatment because it doesn't exist and i really yeah, do feel it's, it's right. going to happen one way or the other
1: yeah the the uh what you're pointing out is something very important and it it's along the line of your the theme of this uh, show today is um because if you listen to the dogma of the mental health industry, you hear about this treatment is effective for this diagnosis and things like right. that. But if you look into, if you, if you know how to do it, and unfortunately some don't have the training to do it, but if you know how to, to just understand basic research design and methodology issues, you don't have to know the details, but some basic things. If you look at all of that stuff, research that is used to support those notions of effective treatment forms, this kind of treatment, that kind of treatment for this kind of diagnosis, you find out that even the best ones demonstrate what you just said, that it isn't the treatment itself that has the large impact on success in therapy. It's the relationship. It's what we call common factors. It's the person of the therapist, the person of the client. It's the sense of trust. It's a sense of Uh, It's actually a placebo phenomenon, but that's a good thing in therapy because all that basically means is is if you can develop a faith in the process and you have hope and trust that you'll find a way through these difficulties in your life, then that is helpful in and of itself. And and I'm talking about a large portion of effectiveness is that relationship. It's upwards of 80% or so.
0: Absolutely. And and cutting across all of the different modalities, treatment modalities, whatever gimmick they put in, because our field now is filled with one gimmick after another, uh, mm-hmm. where people are trying to find a, a, a something that really works as a treatment um, uh, uh, to oppose the so-called treatments of, of big pharma, uh, which is now all drugs. I mean, it's just... There's going to be a, a, another drug. And I'm watching the ads on television, Chuck. Amazing. This drug well, they, doesn't work, so now we have to add this other drug to the drug.
1: I don't know if you and saw a, the most recent uh, ad for tardive dyskinesia. Uh, so for the listeners, tardive dyskinesia is a, uh, a very good a movement problem that you can – uh, developed by taking antipsychotics, some other kind of psychiatric drugs, and sometimes it can be permanent—that it w- doesn't go away. But the pharmaceutical companies know this, and so now they're advertising psychiatric drugs to treat tardive dyskinesia, which is a symptom of psychiatric drug use. Guys, I and, know. <laughs> yeah, don't take—you know—take those drugs, and you get this terrible movement disorder. But we'll give you another one to take care of that.
0: Right. Right. And ultimately, it'll show that it causes worse problems than the original drug. Because when you, yeah. you know, the brain never likes being messed around with in any significant way.
1: It, it really does, doesn't.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, my father was suffering from Parkinson's. And they, so basically, the Parkinson's, you don't have enough dopamine in certain areas of the brain responsible for voluntary movement of, you know, your legs and arms and so forth. And so one of the treatments is a drug called Cardopa or L-Dopa, which increases dopamine. But the problem is, is when you increase dopamine in the brain unnaturally like that, then the person starts experiencing hallucinations. So you give them an antipsychotic that reduces the dopamine. And it, you're taking these, it's like, you know, drinking Red Bull and vodka all, all at once. It's, you know, a stimulant and a and a, and a depressant together. Right. Basically what's going
0: on. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, I know, it's shame,
1: it's, but it's called it's called treatment and it's, yes. uh, you know, it survives under the I guess there's, there's a huge uh, effort for efficiency in the system. So the shorter, the cheaper, the quicker tends to sell. Well,
0: it's, best. It's, a, it's basically economic. I mean, I, you know, it's it's really the yeah. economics and, and one of the sloppier democracy is a very what did Winston Churchill say? Democracy is no way for people to live. It's just better than any other way. It's messy. It's 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 you know it really is messy. You're arguing all the time, but uh, when you put one authority and invest everything unquestioningly in that authority, uh, and, and you don't know what their real motives are, you know, uh, when, when when people tell me about they were held down and treated against their will. In fact, uh, I have a granddaughter at, at Dartmouth now who's interested in all of this, and she had worked with uh, autistic kids. Uh, mm-hmm. While she was still in high school, um, they had an acting program at uh, Stony Brook University, which came out of Vanderbilt. It's it, it, it sponsored out of Vanderbilt. Uh, so she became interested in this, and she sent me a paper. If you're interested, I'll send it to you. It's very long, and it's written by a brilliant autistic Ph.D. who works in one of the universities about what it felt like to be – strapped to a gurney and treated against her will Mm. and how they talk to her and say things like, you don't have a theory of mind, which is you're not really human. The total dehumanization of, of her by this language and this process. Uh, I'm going to send it to you, whether you're interested or not, because it's such a article. I mean, a fabulous article. Uh, Maybe we could ask her to a conference in the future. Um, brilliant, brilliant stuff. I mean, the paper goes on too long because it's filled up with perseverations. <laughs> she says it, says it, and says it, and says it, and says it. And says it. But what mm-hmm. she says is, is gold. Um, okay, listen. It's, I love talking with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think maybe we've been on long enough. Okay, this longer than a tweet. I find that nobody listens to anything anymore, unless it's a tweet, two hundred and forty words. Yeah, I think uh,
1: I think you're you're correct though. I think that's what I said earlier is that one of the the biggest threats we have is that many people just aren't willing to put much time into discovering and uh, would rather just adopt and take on somebody else's ideas and go with it. Um, That's that's a sad state of affairs.
0: Yes. And and again, I, I go back to we, we need a democracy and, and the founding fathers, who I quote all the time, because they were very good psychologists without knowing it, uh, going to depend upon what we have in our educational system, because the people who are the angriest and being left behind economically, I was watching uh, are, are people without real education. I was watching a TV show. I don't remember when. Six truck drivers having a conversation with a reporter about what is going to happen in the next few years because their livelihood is depending upon driving a truck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And now the industry is turning to self-driving, artificial intelligence driving trucks. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I have a car now that almost drives itself. Almost drives itself. It'll stay on the highway. It'll stay in lane. Uh, It won't catch up too close to the car in front of me. Mm -hmm. If I try to go out of lane, it pushes me back into the lane. I mean, I have to act to defeat what the car wants to do once I put the program on. Mm -hmm. And they will stay terrified. Uh, and, and, And the whole thing is they're being made irrelevant And I don't think it's a good thing for human beings to be made irrelevant, because then somebody is going to come along uh, like a Trump and tell them, I have all the answers for you. And without being able to, to, you know, in desperation, they're going to listen and we're going to go in big, big, big trouble, which I think we already are. All righty. Good luck with your book.
1: All right. You too with yours. And I'll let you know what uh, what the publisher says
0: please um, yeah uh, you wouldn't mind if I sent mine to them do it would you well
1: no, go ahead
0: um, yeah I, I fact, wouldn't want
1: to yeah I could uh, you you can find them online um, and I could also just send the the gentleman I've been working with a note that you were interested in um, you know to be expecting a menu, manuscript from you
0: mm-hmm. okay <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I found a, a, a what's his name. I oh, never, I can't remember anybody's name anymore. Terrible. Um, one I S E P P EPP, and he has one of his sites on his uh, on his uh, email is www.thefutureofmentalhealth.com, and in it there are 100 books listed that question um, in various ways what we've been talking about today. Right. And so I've been looking at the publishers, and I found two in England, uh, and I sent them my stuff, but they don't answer. I beg them, yeah. please let me know you received this, but they they don't even answer. It, it's just yeah, – it's yeah, mad. There's
1: one called Prometheus Press uh, that i Well, they published my I first know. book. Yeah, I, I, they, they have not responded to me. I must have contacted them ten times yeah. in different well, ways. Well, I gave you
0: Prometheus Press.
1: Press. Yeah, okay.
0: It came from yeah, me. They're
1: either not they don't, interested. I don't know if they them. even
0: exist now because right. they were split up. No, they, they were independent. I think now they're related to uh, some organization like Dorrance, which is mm-hmm. a, a self-publishing organization. Oh, okay. A very expensive yeah. self-publishing organization, I might add. It is expensive,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, Book Baby was not expensive. It, you know, I mean, it was $1,800 with all the extras Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did a, a, a first class job. So the problem mm-hmm. is that they want me to pay more money for things to make to, to advertise the book.
1: Oh and right, yeah, yeah.
0: Only if this book can get reviewed by you know uh, magazines and and you know I, if I can be called on television to do an interview with about it, and then 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 the book sells. Right. Unless of course you 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 are the son of the president. And the uh, Republican National Committee bought 100,000 copies of his book, wow. which immediately put it on the bestseller list.
1: <laughs> right, it helps to be popular, right? Well,
0: yeah. yeah, nobody's going to ever read it. It's just it's trash, but that, that doesn't mean <laughs> anything. 100,000 copies of the book they bought. Wow, and, and I don't know what they would do with it. Anyway, it's a pleasure, Chuck. Take care.
1: Yeah. You too, Larry. You take care.
0: And have a happy holiday and a healthy holiday.
1: Yes, you too. And safe trip.
0: And, okay. And I'm going to end the episode now. And uh, no. goodbye. all my listeners, you can, uh, when you hope you'll listen now, or you'll listen to the archive, which will be there until who knows when. Take care and goodbye.